Hi, and welcome to Mastering Agility, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists, bringing you the best of the business. My name is Sander Deer, and this podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. Today, we'll be talking to Dave West, CEO of scrum.org, about the evolution of business agility. Let's start the show. Welcome today, Dave West. Dave, could you give yourself a little bit of an introduction to people who don't know you? Oh, oh, hello, everybody, and thank you for inviting me, Sander, to today's podcast. My name is Dave West. I'm the CEO and uh, product owner, I guess, of uh, of Scrum.org, Scrum.org being the organization that Ken Schreiber, the co-creator of Scrum, founded, um, and we have a great community of trainers delivering training classes all over the world and obviously certifications uh, and the like. So I, I run that organization for Ken. Uh, what do you do exactly as a product owner for Scrum the Door? Gosh, that's a really interesting question. And some days I wonder myself. I mean, ultimately, my job is to de- so is to determine the value that we're creating in the context of the mission that we have. Scrum.org's mission ultimately is about helping people and teams solve complex problems. That's at the heart of what we do every day. And my job is to ensure that the product development, the operational capability, the community that we're building and, and, and serving is in pursuit of that mission. And, uh, and, and that's kind of what I do every day. I, I, some days I'm doing fabulous things like this, which is really promoting and, and, and promoting discussion around the concepts and the ideas around agility and scrum and, and business agility, which we'll be talking about today. And then, you know, next thing I'll be down later today working on a backlog with my team on you know what should we do to the website to make it more accessible what should we do to the you know to the training classes to make them you know to take all feedback or whatever or or what metrics are we gathering you know so it's it's a very varied job but ultimately it's in pursuit of our mission right so you have a Quite a busy job. Now you mentioned it a bit. Um, today's topic is about business agility. Now I don't necessarily want to compare business agility to warfare, but for instance, the concept itself in on the battlefield, you have to inspect and adapt. Now warfare itself has been quite old. It has been been, been ages old. Um, why do you think this realization of business agility only comes now, at least in the last 60, 70 years? I think it's interesting. I think war, it's interesting you bring up warfare. I mean, I'm no expert, but I think there is one very interesting parallel. The First World War, we were the you know soldiers weren't very agile, were they? And technology changed, and it basically created a, a quagmire. I think would only be the you know that was the Psalm and the you know Western Front, and the uh, and after that or you know it everything changed i think in terms of how you know soldiers were organized i mean i remember the i'm a, i'm obviously british but i live in america and the america they celebrate the 4th of july and um i think there was something that was said about the british came in red and walked in lines it was brilliant you know and and i think that just sort of sums up that that 
I don't think that the military as a whole, obviously individual situations are very different, but as a whole really became agile until they had to. And I think that agility was driven by a change in environment and a change in circumstance, predominantly changed because of, because of the, the, the automation, you know, machine guns, tanks, planes, etc. Or if you go back to Agincourt, you know, um, arrows and longbows and the like, changed the way that fighting was done then as well and I think there's a parallel with business agility in in the in the business sense that the environment today is changing and to such an extent that industrial ideas because there was a another major transformation you know a few hundred years ago called the industrial revolution and then subsequent transformation since then you know the movement to steel the movement to mass production you know uh, taylorism and ford and the like all of those those transformations those changes were driven by the changing by by necessity by the changing environment and and i think that the move to business agility ultimately is empowered by change opportunity delivered by technology that the, the the you know the automation better analytics more rapid uh, and more intimate relationships with customers all of that stuff and the environment around it whether we call that globalization whether we you know focus on climate change and population change and and the way markets have changed because of that but ultimately i think business agility is a response from the business world to the environment changing around them. Uh, now, what's ironic, Xander, I think, is that it, businesses always change only when they really have to. So there's, a, so there's a few years of pain as we move through this, you know? Yeah, so it's quite lag. I mean, you already mentioned, like, this is born out of necessity. Now, Scrum was, in that sense, also born out of necessity. Uh, why do you reckon this, what the necessity was? Yeah, so it, it is interesting. You know, I was I, I met Ken twenty some years ago, and uh, I was the RUP product manager, the Rash Unified Process product manager then. And uh, so we met. He told me I was an idiot. Turns out he was right. Uh, and uh, and then we slowly became friends. I. I met him again when I was working with Ivar and you know the, the the relationship grew from there and and it's funny I was a methodologist you know as a rup was a methodology type thing you know we had process you know, structure and and it was fantastically complicated and, and detailed scrum was never that scrum came out of the necessity that Jeff and Ken had to deliver value they met you know a long long time ago um i believe uh, jeff tried to set ken up with his sister so it was that was that long ago you know and um they met but they and they knew what each other did and then when jeff had a an engineering an object oriented engineering problem um he invited ken in they they realized they weren't getting anywhere and they worked together to to solve the problem, which wasn't the software, it was the way the teams were working, it was the way the problem was being described. And that led to, to Scrum. So Scrum was born out of necessity to deliver working software because they were having a real hard time doing it. Thank you for, for, for that very interesting answer. Now, there are so many agile frameworks uh, born throughout <laughs> the years. What if Scrum then wouldn't have been born? 
what what would have happened if Scrum hadn't happened? If Ken and Jeff had, you know, if not 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 met, or if this thing, I mean, if some but say hypothetically. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, if I was very arrogant, I would say, oh, well, we wouldn't be in as good a position as we are now. We wouldn't have these concepts in the mainstream. I, I think that's not true. I think what Scrum did, and, and timing was perfect, etc., was they built a very effective commercial. Not only was it a great lightweight framework, and it is and continues to be a light, great lightweight framework but the um they built a commercial model that spread it very effectively you know by providing an ability for people to pay their mortgage you know helping people use scrum and then that created a, a whole culture of content and material you know things like this which then ultimately you know refined itself so if it if it hadn't i think something else probably would have ended up doing that uh but i I think one thing that Scrum's done is it's provided that sort of standard way in which agile teams work. That that standardization of the, the concept of a backlog, the concept of a daily, the concept of a sprint, or you know, this small, you know, whether you actually use those words, obviously companies like Spotify avoid that, but um, whether you use those words, those concepts, they brought them into the world. Retrospective is an, a term that's used all the time and, you know, review and all that, you know, these things were brought because of, because of Scrum. And I think that that's incredibly powerful. I think one of the challenges, we, we face this in the object-oriented world with when work was created, was there was all these different methods, all these different approaches, and there was no simplicity around it. There was no conformity and that that i think ended up being very wasteful what worries me a lot about scaling because you mentioned um uh, i think you said less maybe or safe uh which i i'm not anti i think they're both fabulous sets of ideas um as is you know scrum at scale you know nexus definitely has some interesting concepts um though very much focused on team of teams model um all of these the one thing that worries me greatly is that all the you know the the people that are driving those frameworks tend to come with an agenda and they don't realize that they, they sort of create a battle oh you don't do this it's like the kanban versus scrum debate nah, who cares it's not about kanban versus scrum yes i personally love scrum and i find it works really well when you've got a team when you've got a clear product when you have all those things i also really value the ideas of of Kanban. You know, I, I don't think it should be an us or them. It should be, let's look at the situation. Let's learn from all these models. Let's understand what they're strong at and let's build the right one. Obviously, I'd like everybody to learn Scrum and, and I think it benefits if they know Kanban, if they've done some safe or less or Scrum at scale, that they're better at understanding the trade-offs and the decisions that you're making around delivering valuable product to customers. I think that's a very interesting topic that you that you touched there, like this discussion leading away from actually delivering business value can also take away the focus of how the framework should work in, in towards delivering this uh, specific value. Now, the market currently is adopting agile frameworks, whether it's Nexus or Scrum or Save or whatever, um, by mass, but this also might lead to the wrong understanding. Like, what I see personally happen in organizations, if, if there's one entity, one body applying that um, or responsible for applying and uh, uh, adopting that framework, and it's done in a slightly different way than it's actually intended, 
then the entire organization is going to suffer and uh, they're not really going to uh, benefit of the, uh, the, the delivery of value and the, the benefits of these frameworks. And now you've traveled the entire world uh, looking at these, these. Not recently, but yes. <laughs> you have your challenges. Now, speaking of challenges, how do you see these challenges in organizations that you have visited? I think that the, the, the thing that disappoints me and continues to disappoint me, but doesn't surprise me, is that people sometimes leave their brain at home when they're adopting these ideas. At the heart of agility is this, this loop, this very simple loop of inspection and adaption through transparency, this feedback loop. And at the heart of it all, you know, is an evaluation of the success of the thing you're doing in the context of the problem you're solving and the value you're delivering. So if you can focus on that loop and then apply the frameworks and the practices around that, then I think you're in a very strong position. Yeah, the, the, the idea of evidence driving the decisions that you make around the, 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 the changes that you're making. I don't like, uh, it was a sort of blind adoption model. Now, I have to say it has had its value because ultimately, you know, people say, well, how do we know what we're going to do until we, you know, because we've never done it. And so I, I do accept that you do have to start with something, but then you need to look at it in that context. So that's the reason why I say start with Scrum, simple as framework, adopt that, try it for a few sprints, not just one, because I think you'll have some growing and see what you're learning and then make intelligent decisions about whether Scrum's right for you or whether you need to adopt other things or whether, you know, and you continuously refine that. The, the thing I like in the Scrum Guide is this sort of retro one continuous improvement every single sprint, looking, you know, having that space to look at how you're working and then refine it accordingly. Now, the, 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 the big change though this requires, and I think Sandy, you're sort of moving, you, you sort of made that military analogy earlier. And I think the big change is that we have to empower teams to be able to make decisions about how they work. And that means that teams have to change their thinking or individuals need to change their thinking in terms of, you know, many people just trust the system. I'm a cog in a system. That's the industrial mindset. As we're post-industrial, we have to think about, actually, I'm not a cog in the system. What I am is I'm a, I'm a cell in a body and my responsibilities and my, you know, and I'm going to revolve. I mean, hopefully my DNA does not hold me back or whatever. So maybe this analogy doesn't work, but ultimately I'm responsive to the environment around me and I'm empowered within the guardrails of the, of the context that I work um, to do the things that are necessary to deliver the value um, around it. And, and I think that that's super, super important that, you know, that it's a sort of change, you know, that you feel you own your own destiny more. And there are constraints that mean that you can't do everything that you want. You know, there are challenges. You have to cut the suit to suit the cloth, right? But you, you, but ultimately those challenges are made more transparent. The decisions are made more explicit and the like. And one thing that worries me about this though, is that, is this, can everybody do this? Is, can everybody be mindful? Can everybody take ownership of their destiny? Can everybody? And that's still a question that I, I, I ponder a lot around the rise of business agility. Is this 
environment right for everybody or you know and 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 i don't so know counter ask you a question on that should everybody do it should everyone apply it i think at the heart of agility yes i think how they do it will be significantly different um now you're going to say well not all problems are complex or even complicated some are simple increasingly we're seeing those simple problems get removed and replaced by automation so the you know even pe so recently i've been working with a friend of mine but will provide working that's 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 not a good way of describing what i've been doing with my friend and he runs a lot of um kentucky fried chickens and taco bells and these franchises right and we've been experimenting with being able to apply scrum to his business because he wants because obviously COVID and the environment that we're in today was meant his businesses had to be incredibly adaptive to the ability to actually serve their customers. The, the mission hasn't changed, but how they do it has significantly changed. You know, take out, you know, you can't eat inside the building, you know, do, do, do. all the things that were normal, uh, even the buying habits have changed depending on stimulus checks and things like that. So, so the situation, so you'd think that, very simple, com not complex work. Really? Actually, you know, the, the, by, by, by empowering the store managers and the teams in the franchise model and giving them some tools, uh, including data, and that was one thing that has been a bit of a challenge, you can actually get some amazing results. So, so is this for everybody? I, I, I don't know, Sander. What I, what I do know, though, is increasingly because of the nature of automation and the problem and the environments that we're working in, there's an element to everybody's work that, that, that is, that is an asp that is part of this, you know, like for instance, you compare the most profitable supermarkets with the least profitable, like Trader Joe's per square foot is the most profitable business uh, supermarket chain in the, in the world. And what's interesting is what they do is they empower their teams to make, the right decisions to serve their, they have a mission of serving customers. Everything else is, so they will literally have one of their associates, they wear Hawaiian shirts, they're kind of weird, I don't, I don't totally get it. Go and spend an hour in the warehouse trying to find something that the customer wants. You know, they want this particular balsamic vinegar and they used to have it or whatever. Now, yeah, that doesn't sound very efficient, but they've worked out, you know, the teams work together to, to do that. So I, I don't know if it's right for everybody, but increasingly I'm thinking that, that it is, or there's an element of this in everybody's work. And then the question is, is everybody right for it? <laughs> and then that's a whole different discussion, right? Exactly. It's just what, it, what you want to get out of it. Now, you, you already um, touched evidence. Right? evidence like in the sprint review like evidence and transparency is yeah. in this uh, context it's it's quite obvious yet still quite hard to grasp um, to execute now if you take that for instance into another analogy if you work in a police force or you're a detective and you want to solve a crime you're going to work with specific evidence else you won't be able to deliver the actual uh, verdict or uh, whatever yeah. the uh, whatever comes out of it now what makes it so hard in agile teams or in, in business agility to grasp the concept of evidence and transparency i i think i think ultimately the industrial world focused on the work not the outcome you know 70 percent complete 
as opposed to saying, hey, I've delivered 100, I don't know, whatever's, <laughs> I, you know, and I'm going to do 200 or I guess that's not 70%, but you know what I mean? We always talk about the, the work. You know, what did you do today? Well, you know, I marked books. You know, like if you ask a teacher, you know, what did you do today? Well, I, I did a lot of time marking. Actually, no, 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 no. What you did was you provided feedback to your students uh, against a curriculum. Da, da, da. Let's concentrate on that. You know, let's optimize that. You, let's not mark faster. Let's get the outcomes faster. You know, I think it's, it, it, it has been the paradigm uh, of choice, this concept of work. And, and I think we have to sort of like review, like even myself, I find myself, you know, doing work sometimes and I'm like, well, why am I doing this? Uh, I, I just recently was doing something where I was, you know, trying to do it the way it's always been done. I'm like, hang on, why am I, what's the outcome I'm seeking here? Uh, I have to say, I had a bit of a, um, you know, one of those moments, you know, they're, you're there, like a light bulb goes off when I attended Jeff and Josh, uh, the, 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 the Lean UX creators uh, worked with us on, on um, professional scrum with UX um, class and um, I attended it uh, thinking, oh, I know everything. I've read the book, right? You know, I'm great. And I'm like, oh, geez. And then I went back and looked at the, the, the backlog as I've described it for my teams, the mission that I've described it, the, even the, even the roadmap. And I was like, well, that's not very outcome centric, is it? So I realigned my understanding of the customer in the context of, uh, of, uh, of the outcomes that they seek. And I re-reminded myself who my customer and I reminded our team who our customers were. And that's something I think is solely missing. I think most people work, you know, I work in an insurance company, I'm doing this, I'm building this piece of software, I'm, you know, whatever you forget about the customer. And so one thing I'd love to see more of is more personas, outcomes, missions on the walls next to the scrum boards, I guess on the virtual walls now, but the, you know, next to the scrum boards um, because, um, and I get, yeah, the other thing is I always ask, I say, you know, who's your customer? What are you trying to achieve? And I'm, I'm, it's, it's funny how little people know about that. So I guess the reason why it's moving to outcomes and moving to evidence is so challenging is because of the disconnect from the customer and the mission. And while you would say you're making a product for a customer, um, spending their money on your time, basically, I, then what makes it then so challenging to involve this customer from the get-go? Yeah, and it's not just the customer. Obviously, it's the person that's investing the money, the stakeholders, the business, etc. But I, I, I don't know. I think there's lots of reasons that we put, we pretend, we hide. Working with customers is hard, mate. You know, there's no ifs or buts. You know, in my life would be much easier without people sending me emails of why did I just fail PSM two. You know, the but 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 it is <laughs> the most rewarding thing. Um, I, I read an article today about um, about Tata trucks, and uh, the, the the executive team used to have an executive like dining room, and they'd all go for an hour every every day to dinner to to lunch. And what, but one of the the CEO would never be there, and they were like, he's obviously going off to his suppliers, going to a fancy hotel, and getting wined and dined. Turns out he wasn't. What he was doing was he was driving to the nearest sort of like truck stop 
and he was having lunch with those people asking them questions about the products including the competitors products and he was embedding himself in the customer and you know we the scrum people misunderstand scrum a lot and they think the product owner is the only person that can talk to the customer. Actually, the product owner is not the only person, in fact, should not be. One of the key jobs of the product owner is to facilitate a discussion between the team and the stakeholders, which being the ultimate customer. Um, and understanding who that customer is, is obviously a key part of that work and building those relationships for the team to have that perspective, because then we will make better choices when we try to implement the PBIs that the product owners, you know, d determining and prioritizing. Yeah, actually deliver value. Now going back to uh, delivering value and, and uh, looking at since the, um, since the adoption of the notion that uh, value could more clearly ex be, be clearly expressed and delivered, uh, things have evolved quite rapidly and quite rigorously, I would say. Uh, looking at, for instance, in the 1960s, where the US Army had uh, Project Agile needing to be able to respond uh, better in a, in a more clear and concise way of delivering their weapons and their artillery into a battlefield uh, uh, on the other side of the planet. Um, now, what do you think is the biggest miss in the evolution of business agility? The biggest miss? Well, that's an interesting question. The, the, you know, I, I think, so what do people miss most? I think there's, I think there's three elements that that need to be considered and every organization kind of focuses on whichever. I think one is alignment. I think, you know, that if you're going to be successful with agility, if your business is going to be successful with agility, you need to align to your customers and to your outcomes more effectively. You know, sort of like, I guess it's Conway's law, right? But it, it, it's sort of like Conway's law on steroids. You know, it's like aligning, which means you may have to sort of like align your people, change, evolve your architectures of your products and your both conceptual products and the underlying stuff that enables those products and everything. So alignment is one thing. And we see organizations kind of being a little shy around that because it's bloody hard. You know, it's incredibly difficult to realign everything. So I think that's one key element that people sort of mess up. The second key element is around how you how you reward structure incentivize people you know so the, the the one thing that's super important for business agility is to align people to the outcomes we got that but then you have to support them mastery is crucial so you need some sort of organizational construct if you're if you're obviously at spotify it's guilds and chapters if communities of practice whatever you need something there that can facilitate and to enable the development of the skills to allow these teams to evolve and get better at their craft right um you should promote people for their contribution to others you should bonus people on their contribution to the business bottom line you know those two things need to be held in in in, in perfect balance or in some level of balance to ensure success i think organizations are very scared of that and the last thing is around really the incentives the the uh, alignment to sort of like the the 
really how things are planned and how things are played out it seems to be that you know you could really simplify it but they they don't they make it incredibly complicated and because of that it sort of gets in the way of, of everything i was at a, a an insurance company and they had a product owner conference in this insurance company and i was I was I was speaking at it, and the and the COO spoke before me because all the product owners ultimately reported to the COO. And uh, after he did a really good job, and he was fabulous. And then somebody asked him a question, and they said, "Look, you've got all these mixed priorities. We're having a challenge because all these different fiefdoms have mixed priorities that are hitting us, and we're not able to resolve them. You need to resolve them, and then we would do a better job realizing value from the you know." And he's and he turned around and said, "I can't do that. I just can't. You're going to have to make the best of it." And and I thought that was sort of symbolic of a lack of desire to really make choices at the at that executive level and to plan accordingly. So there's something around that that's that's probably problematic. So those you know those three areas. I have to say, if you can align your teams, everything else sort of falls to the waste. You because if you if they have clear line of sight to customer mission. And, and you empower them and you give them the support then you just everything's going to be awesome i'll, I'll be honest i think that's and to key. be able to give them the support uh, the organization around these teams should be working um, for them as well like they're supportive and um, something that you mentioned uh, just just now is that the, the lack of willingness to to evolve in that sense uh, mostly or typically it's based on fear uh, what would you advise scrum teams that are being forced um, to, uh, or let me put it differently. Uh, what would you advise scrum teams that uh, are being hold, held back with fear? Yeah, fear is interesting. You know, um, Kurt Bittner, one of my colleagues said to me, you know, sort of, I think last year, he said, you know, I don't think organizations are built to deliver products and to serve customers. I think they're built to manage people's own egos and create some sort of level of power and prestige and basically deliver on that tribal necessity that human beings have and and has and has done us fantastically well and allowed us to become you know the the, the species that runs the the world i i think the 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 fear element the fear of not being worthy the fear of having your colleagues look down at you the fear of all of those things uh are tied to ego and i think that ego is something that really it gets in my way all the time and i'm like why did i respond in that way why was i angry you know when somebody said something that i disagreed with what really it doesn't you know it's got nothing so i think the the way to success or the way is disentanglement almost you know this sort of buddhist idea of where you sort of step back from from the 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 emotions of the environment you're in don't take it too seriously and just say okay you know this we're gonna do this this is how we're working come on are you with me you can disagree with it how about we do something else then you know compromise and and just get on with it and just don't you know smile at it all don't let it get don't get it let it get you down and um I think we take ourselves often very, very seriously. And, and I think the fear ultimately is connected to that. And uh, I think if you disentangle yourself from it and step back 
every you know things like journaling really helps uh, step back and say ah, why why did i respond in that way it can be a really interesting um an interesting an interesting approach i i want my passion to be aligned to the outcomes not to the not to the fights and the people and the winning and, and you know inside an organization i want it focused on the customer and that's why i try to focus my passion and my energy really cool to hear now um this fear if you will uh, could it be solved with being more mindful you meant you mentioned that being a more of a buddhistic approach now this mindfulness and and being able to put aside these potentially destructive emotions uh, it could help you move forward as a value delivering team now if you would take this across the entire organization and what your colleague uh kurt mentioned i see in practice that these teams that are more mindful and more aware of their own behavior in that sense will ultimately become a lot more effective than trying to be the king of the monkey rock yeah yes i mean infinitely i think at the heart of being successful or agile you have to be a good human being to be a good human being means you have to concentrate on improving your ability to interact with other human beings and build you know relationships and create dare i call it psychological safety and all of those things now i'm an i'm a software engineer by vocation i guess i you know my undergraduate and postgraduate degrees are in and you know i've written a few books on on it so i i find it really ironic that the way to be successful isn't the engineering is not about engineering systems processes forms checklists backlogs jira templates it's actually the way to be successful is facilitating and enabling an environment where psychological safety trust respect prosper and in the context of clear business outcomes and clear mission and clear customer you do those things you know then everything else you're like oh well we'll fix that oh it's not working properly who cares let's work around it you know uh, but it, yeah so mindfulness is key i think and i hate to say it because i'm sounding like a cringy hippie but um it's true you know get your joysticks out and your caftans out guys the, the way to build fabulous agile teams is to be mindful and um i hope you know that we can bridge the the world of you know, coaching and professional coaching into scrum mastery and into agile coaching so that we can build a set of skills to allow us to step back from the ego and the entanglement and appreciate the, the, the motivations of others uh, and to assume best intent and to create best intent. Yeah, so this is partially put into practice, for instance, with these scrum values now not necessarily just looking at scrum all these other frameworks or development methods or any other system can really benefit from mindfulness from coaching from empathy oh gosh uh, yes but i never see this really being carried out like if, if i go to a, a course now psm for instance psm2 has more of empathy and coaching uh, activities in there but if i look at for instance a scrum guide or uh, any other description of a framework there is so less uh, yeah. emphasis on this while it would have the potential to really help you go forward 
Yes, I mean, you know, the the the, the I, I mean, the Scrum Guide. There was debate whether to put the values into the Scrum Guide because it is meant to be the, just a pure description of the framework and the sort of like the you know the interface, you know, transparency. You know that this sort of like underlying need that the framework has to be successful, and the 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 values. Are, uh, are actually prescriptive. They describe the behaviors that you should manifest to implement the framework. And they're not necessarily comprehensive or right in, in some regards in your context, you may use different, you know, in, like in China and Asia, the, 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 the way you implement those values is very different from, from in, in, you know, uh, from the Netherlands or the US. So what's super interesting is uh, at least the Scrum Guide the decision was made, Jeff and Ken made that decision to put them in primarily because of that importance. Though it isn't enough, it at least, it at least introduces that sort of element of, of understanding that was, that was solely missing from traditional methodologists. In the RUP, we didn't have anything of that. We were, we just, we were like, we are robots, we are a machine, just implement the process. We didn't, we didn't think about human beings. We didn't think about any of that stuff. And, and I think when you look at things like SAFE, though, that, that they don't also, um, because the, that's sort of different. It's hard. It's, you know, it's fluffy. It's not like on Wednesdays, you will always have this meeting and invite, you know, your program increment team and, and, and all the like, which is, which is much easier to describe. You know, the, the, the values, I think, give us at least a spring, uh, dare I say, a springboard to actually thinking a little bit more mindfully about how we, how we create an environment that, that fosters success at a, at a, at a team level, at least. Oh, definitely. Now, the, one of the Scrum values is respect to respect each other as, as highly capable human beings. Now, something that I um, come, what I see happening in practice a lot is that people are a mentioned, but be treated as resources. Like if I would pick up my mouse <laughs> or my phone, to me, those are resources. They are dispensable. Uh, even Harvard calls them resources because you can hire them and fire them. Like the notion of being people being treated that easily. And I understand that uh, ultimately you work for a company that uh, you should be able to provide value. But if you keep these things under one umbrella, like people and, and mice and, and a desk and a laptop, they are all resources. Um, then you're not really going to move away from this notion. And ultimately you're not going to treat, treat people like people. Uh, what would you feel that the world needs to be able to see people more as people instead of being resources? I, I, I mean, I mean, human resources is a really strange title for a department. Uh, you know, the, I find it really odd. You know, we build bridges with resources. We, you know, and they're inter and they're fungible, right? People aren't. You know, the biggest asset any organization has is its people. You know, the the experience and knowledge and diversity of people are the reason why organizations are successful. Um, I I I think we are seeing a change, though, Sander. I I really do. I see, you know, organizations like the McKinsey's and the BCG's of the world, the people that sort of like at that executive management consulting level, really driving in these ideas now more so than ever before. I see 
I see an appreciation by organizations like even my, my buddies organize, you know, he, he's got like 16, 1700 people that work for him. And for the first time ever, he's now thinking about how he can empower these hourly paid, often not that well educated people to really take ownership of the outcomes that he's seeking from those stores. You know, sort of like, and, and he's, think, he's being very mindful and he's providing education and support and, and he's committed to do that. Though obviously COVID's kind of like not helping his revenues to give him that flexibility. But, he, but he's thinking very deeply about that. And um, which, is, which is very interesting um, because I think that we'll get, we've got a whole next generation of business leaders coming through now. You know, this is over the next five to 10 years, the, the, the sort of baby boomer generation is disappearing. The, you know, those, that, that industrial, and I think the next generation of leaders have better idea of this, you know, and maybe it's because they're dedicated followers of fashion and the most successful companies of the world are more people centric you know they 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 just have to be and yes it's because they they tend to be high knowledge companies like tesla and facebook and where there's a lot of software being delivered but the the reality is that they are more successful because not because of the software or the technology or whatever that helps it's the people that apply it right so i i think there will be a change i hope there will be a change i know that that the organizations that I talk to are very aware of that. They just don't know how to manifest it when the boardroom is still predominantly thinking in very industrial ways. That is a very great perspective. Thank you very much. Now, speaking of the next generation, um, and this is going to be my last question for you. What does the future hold for Scrum? Or put it uh, around, what does Scrum hold for the future? I, that's an interesting question, and, and realistically, I have no real idea. But because <laughs> the future has proven itself to be a tricky beast, but the um, I think if I was going to, I concentrate on two things. I think number one, I think the application of the ideas of Scrum will become more widespread and continue outside of software teams, outside of even traditional product teams, to be more broadly used you know we see it more in education we're seeing it more in you know manufacturing we're seeing it more in everywhere these ideas so i think that's one thing and and that's that's good because we'll learn from its use and we'll get better at applying it even in the traditional domains because of how it's being applied in other domains um but and then so that's a very practical tactical future of scrum I see, you know, that growing. I think, the, but the more sort of abstract sort of perspective of the future is I think, now we call it professionalism, but I don't know if they're the right words. You know, Scrum is empiricism or empirical process, empowered teams, self-managing teams, and this concept of continuous improvement, right? So wrapping that, we're seeing increasingly the value stuff we just talked about, Sander, the maniacal focus on outcomes for customers, the discipline that's necessary to facilitate empirical process really and then the other thing is this sort of like desire to help others through community and and how and and answer that very important question to scale the ideas of not what have i done today but who have i helped today 
And, and I'm seeing that more and more. So the future, I think those ideas will become more widespread it, with the framework of this agile framework called Scrum at the heart of it. And then it'll be applied in more context. I think the future is really exciting. Sandra, I'm super excited to be part of it. I'm blessed to be a part of it, working with people like you and, and others in our community to, to change the world, to, to really to give the, the every, I think people, I'm, I'm going to quote Michael Jackson, if I'm not care, children of the future. No, but I think people have a massive potential. And if we can just unlock it, if we can just free them from the constraints, we can change the world. Everything from cancer, from COVID-19, from, you know, from, you know, uh, food, from, climate change from all of these things we can solve human beings can solve these problems and but we can only do that if we give them the environment 